0: Well, we're on the second message in our series, uh, core strength. First question I have to ask you, of course, is how are your abs? How are your abs? Some of you have been doing sit-ups or planks or some kind of exercise to strengthen your core. My abs have been talking to me all week, like saying, what ever got into you? I mean, you you haven't touched me for years and years, and now you're working at me and yakking at me and giving me a tough time every day. And I don't like it. Uh, So if you walked in a little bit stiff and sore like I did today, uh, that's just good training. And so uh, uh, if this is your first Sunday at TCC, maybe I better say to you the context of my comment that we've entered into a new series of messages called Core Strength. And we're working on the core of our faith. But at the same time, we're working on the core of our physical and so we're trying to do a little bit of an association here. As, as we work on the physical core, it reminds us to keep working on the uh, spiritual core because there are great benefits to us uh, physically when we have a strong core, but there are great benefits to us spiritually when we have a strong core and we are growing in our relationship to God and to others. So, so awesome. If you got yourself motivated this week to start doing some sit-ups, or some crunches, or some planks, or some push-ups, or whatever you've been doing, keep it up, keep going. Just imagine uh, how you're gonna be in 60 days from now. This is gonna be the trimmest, fittest congregation around. Do you know what one pair said to another? I've been working on my core. I've been working on my core. So let's be pairs this week. (laughs) There are three core areas that we want to rub up against to in the next nine weeks. Number one is intimacy with God. Number two is relationships with people. And number three is our influence in our world. There's a word that I want to introduce to you this morning. Uh, you may know it. You may not. You might have heard it, and then you just can't remember the context any longer. It's not a word that gets into our daily vocabulary, at least not very much. Ready for the word? It's the word Shema, Shema. Vaguely familiar? If you have a Hebrew background, you know the verse or the word very well. What is Shema? It's a set of verses from the Old Testament, and they are called the Shema, and this is the Shema that Quinn read, "Listen, O Israel." The Lord is our God, the Lord alone and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them. Next slide. That's it. Oh, that's it. Well, wear, wear them where on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This was no doubt the most important text in all of sacred writings. I mean, it's the very heart of the Jewish faith. This is what they believed. Uh, there it is. <laughs> this is what they believed was the most important part that they could do in life. They were to love God They were to love God with all of their hearts. They were to love Him with all of their souls. They were to love Him with all the strength they could muster. How were they to love God with all their heart and strength and soul, you ask? Well, the way you expressed your love to God was by doing what God wanted. So you put the commandments on your heart. That meant a lot of memory work. You teach the commandments to your kids, you, you walk alongside of your kids and you make these commandments a part of life. And you just let the commandments get right inside of you and you let them find focus in every part of daily life. You integrate these core commandments into your daily routine. You talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Do you remember when you were inoculated for certain diseases and how the doctor or the nurse would give you a very small dose of whatever the disease might be in which uh, you were trying to make sure you never got. And, and, and you were trying to build your body up, uh, your immune system so, uh, to the real thing so that the real disease would never really impact you because you had an inoculation and it made me think our our kids are watching us is it possible to give our children just a small amount a small dose of christianity just enough to make them immune to the real thing and that's the scary part is, as parents in the journey we have that which and we all have to contemplate that these kids watch us as parents they watch us go to church They watch us go through the religious motions, but sometimes they don't see a passionate love for God, a love that loves God with all of our hearts and soul and strength and mind. And I start to think there is nothing more dangerous than for children to see in their parents a half-hearted love for God. I, I heard about a Sunday school teacher that was talking to a group of kids one time And he asked them the question, why do you love God? And as he went down the line, he got a variety of answers, but the one he liked best came from a little boy sitting at the end of the row, and he said, Mr. Smith, I don't know why I love God. I guess it just runs in my family. Uh, What a beautiful response to catch the love of God from your family. The process of educating your child begins at a very young age. By the way, if your children are doing memory work these days, oh, I commend you. Uh, mem- memorizing Scripture, that's such a great thing, but, but, but a hard thing. But isn't it true that our kids have the capacity to remember? They, they just pick it up so quickly. It takes discipline And we can all memorize, but never as well as when we're young. And there's some amazing history to this. Uh, Memory work was happening in the Jewish homes from a very early age of the child. In fact, when you think of it, Jesus would have memorized this scripture as well. What do you think was perhaps the first section of scripture that he memorized? No doubt it was the Shema. This very section that we call Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and following. What's so special about the Shema? Well, in the Shema, you have a clue about what God wants. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And here's what it implies. It implies that God wants to be loved. That God wants to be loved. Have you ever thought of it like that before? It implies that God wants to be loved. You're not talking about an idol made out of wood or a god of the sun or a god of the moon or stars that doesn't have any feelings Or if they do, they're gods that need to be appeased or they're gods that need to be feared. But a different picture is painted in the Shema. This God wants to be loved and this God is our God and He is one. He is the one God who made all things. He's a big God and this big God, this awesome God, wants to be loved. Now why is this? I mean, nobody ever talked like this before. Shema was at the heart of the Israeli faith. Every dedicated Jewish person would recite from memory the Shema. Twice a day, the man would put on a prayer shawl. He would put a little leather box, a phylactery filled with commandments on his arms, or he would bind them to his forehead. And then he would say these words, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And if you were on the road, if you were on a pathway, and you were saying Shema and a friend passed, walked past you, you couldn't stop saying the Shema to greet your friend. It was a sign of real commitment to keep on saying the Shema, first and foremost priority. And so I asked, why, why did they love these words so much? They put all their eggs into the basket of being committed to repeating the Shema. And the why is perhaps best answered by what they understood. These words held the key to making sense out of life. How shall I live my life? Where do I find my significance and my meaning in life? Where do I find the purpose to live? What does it mean to live my life with purpose? And the Shema seemed to answer and satisfy those questions. Uh, Will Willimon is a pastor actually i guess a bishop professor duke university we got to meet him some years ago sid do you remember uh he was i think uh ep wall center Uh, uh he was uh doing one of the sessions at taylor and he's a kind of he's a cool guy and he preached for me uh that's i don't know how many years ago that is and i remember picking him up on a sunday morning to bring him to our church to speak. And we got halfway to the church, and uh, he said, oh, he forgot something. Or he didn't wear something. And uh, it kind of threw him off. He said, well, that's not a good sign. I looked at him like, he's serious. He was serious. And it just kind of stuck in my memory bank. He's just such an awesome guy, and he just preached so wonderfully that morning. But he writes these words. He said a few years ago, the president of a certain Ivy League school welcomed the incoming freshmen with these words. And the reason I say these is they're so different from the Shima. The president said, we cannot supply you with a philosophy of education any more than we can supply you with a philosophy of life. This has got to come from you, from your own act of learning, your own choices, your own decisions. Now, when it comes to history, if you say Columbus discovered America in 1805, we'll impose our belief on you because we believe there's knowledge about that. But when it comes to values and wisdom and goodness and what is right, good luck. Think for yourself. In other words, William Willimon says about the president of this Ivy League school, the university will provide you with lots of learning. It will provide you with a good buffet of subjects to take and a great faculty. But how that forms a philosophy of life for you, how that becomes a guiding beacon for your life, that has nothing to do with us and everything to do with you. You're on your own. Think for yourself. Now, I kind of get that. I kind of get that. I understand that perspective, that a university can't give you a philosophy of life, although it is very, very influential. But the point I'm making is that's so different than Shema. Shema, you're not on your own. Our world says you're on your own. But look what happens when we're on our own. Did you notice the looting going on in homes and stores in Houston a couple of weeks ago? And then again in Florida at the worst of the flood? And over in the Caribbean? I mean, everybody's trying to survive and some are looting. Some are risking their lives to rescue those in harm's way and some are breaking into homes and stores and they're looting. Everyone has to make their own decisions as to how they will live their lives. What principles guide your life? What philosophy? I get all these notices from an organization that is trying to protect humanity, women, children, from the ravages of Isis. I don't know if you get this, American Center for Law and Justice, ACL, uh, ACLJ. And I guess it's really hard for us to understand how all of this can be real. I mean, what kind of a philosophy of life develops in the last few years that delights that delights in killing people, burning people alive, even in our age crucifying people. I mean, how did we how did we ever get that far over? Or in, in the recent little bombing in Britain, uh, if nobody's taking credit for that little bombing, ISIS says we will take credit for that. We did it. We did it. We're just so proud to be able to say, we did it. There is a sense and a freedom that is prevalent to say, you're on your own, find out for yourself, formulate a pathway that you think is best, whatever it may look like, even if it looks like ISIS, even if it means thinking you're superior to another gender or superior to another nation or superior to another religion. I mean, we do have freedom to make those choices. But God had instructions for Moses to communicate. How to tackle the big questions of life, the issues of significance and purpose. God, how will your people figure it out? How will they know which pathway to take? Well, here's how. God says through his servant, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your strength. So it's a very clear statement on how to approach the direction and purpose of this life. There is a God There is one God, He is a big God, and your response to Him is to love Him because He's worthy to be loved. He's a good God. Get to know Him and then influence the next generation. Tell them how to know Him. It doesn't say, oh Israel, Israel, think for yourself. Go with your gut, follow your happiness, maximize your bliss. You are the autonomous center of the universe. One day, a man with a Ph.D. in theological studies cornered Jesus. He was out to trip Jesus up. So he posed the question to Jesus, "Uh, What's your take, Jesus? What's the most important command? I mean, tough question. What is the greatest of all the commandments? Well, the reason that the question is, is not an easy one to answer is because there are many commandments from God In his word. I mean, the first five books are called the law, the Torah. And in that section, you find the Ten Commandments. And all those commandments are really important. And then the rabbis went to work and they calculated that there were 613 commandments in the law. And then there were debates as to which ones are really the core commandments. Uh, So, Jesus, got a question for you What is the most important commandment? The Ph.D. expert in the law is asking him, what do you think? Well, Jesus went right back to the Shema. He didn't even need to ponder it. He said the most important command is to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. With all you got. No holding back. Full-out love for God. So I guess this morning I want to ask the implications of the Shema and the words of Jesus. Jesus. And first of all, you were created by God to love him. You were created by God to love him. There's a wonderful verse in Psalm 139, verse 15. You saw me before I was born and scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Each day was recorded in your book. God made you with a purpose in mind. God made you with a purpose in mind. He is a dream for your life it doesn't matter your background, it doesn't matter if your parents were supportive and loving or if they were immature or selfish or really difficult parents. The implication is that God created a custom you and he he knew about you and he always loved you and your nationality or your country of origin or your education or your wealth or your political stripe, none of that really matters. But you have the DNA that God planned for you. You are no surprise to God. While children might be unplanned by their parents, they're not unplanned by God. And God wanted to tell you that He loves you. And He made you so that you could see the very essence of who He is, is love. Some people say, well, God was lonely, so that's why He created us. No. God was not needy. There, there is an awesome love already in the fellowship of the Trinity. So God didn't need to create us. He created us in order to express His love, to pour out His love because He was so full of love. Here's a breathtaking verse in Isaiah 44, verses 3 and 4. I've cared for you since you were born. Yes, I carried you before you were born. I will be your God throughout your lifetime until your hair is white with age. I made you and I will care for you. Wow, look in the mirror. Anybody got any gray hair emerging? God says, I love you and I made you. I'll be with you all the years of your life, right to the end of your days on the planet. And That's just so incredibly encouraging. So our journey, our earthly classroom experience is to understand what God has done for us. That he created us and he has great purposes and plans for our lives. And right at the top of the list is that we come to know how important it is to return his love. That we love him back. That's the first and greatest of all commandments. Love the Lord your God with all you have. You were created by God to love him secondly, you can choose to love him both now and forever. Uh, we understand the term staging area. It's uh, usually an interim place where you put together your plan, right where you assemble what you need to assemble in order to uh, accomplish something that you're trying to do. This life is a staging area for putting together our response to God's love for us, His purpose for us. This is a staging season for the most important commandment. In this interim staging time, Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. So this planet is the staging area for eternity. As someone has said, it's the practice workout before the actual game. It's the warm-up lap before the race begins. And even if you live to be 105, which not many do, it is still the staging ground for eternity. The staging season of life is very brief. I mean, Paul used the descriptor of a tent to understand how brief this time is. He said, you don't live in a, in a tent all your life. And the Apostle, he wanted us to know don't get too comfortable in this staging area because it's just a tent. And one day that tent will fold and maybe pretty quickly and it will be taken down and will finally enter into our house. He said, For we know that this, when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God Himself and not by human hands. One day this little organ in our body uh, which is just so critical for our existence this little heart will just stop it's a very complex little organ but there'll come a day when it won't beat any longer and when the heart stops beating your life will end but just the body will end but not your spirit your spirit the real you will continue on This body will have served its purpose, and that is that it's been an interim staging area for your time on earth. And when your body ceases to function, you're now in eternity. And eternity offers only two choices, either heaven or hell. And your relationship with God in the staging areas will determine your relationship with God in eternity. So Jesus reminds us of what's really important. What is the most important thing in this lifetime? And that is to love God with all your heart. And then he added the second, and to love your neighbor as yourself. I like the way Henry Blackaby phrases it in his fine book, Experiencing God. He writes, picture in your mind a tall ladder leaning against a wall. Now think about your life as a process of climbing that ladder. Wouldn't it be a tragedy to get to the top of the ladder and find you have placed it against the wrong wall? One life to live, and you missed it. Now that catches my attention because the ladder is leaning against the wrong wall. I spent a whole lifetime climbing a ladder only to find at the end of the day, the end of my life, it's the wrong ladder. And it leads nowhere. Your relationship to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is the single most important aspect of your life. If it's not right, nothing else is important. And you know, we, 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 we tend to want to climb the ladders. We tend to want to do things to kind of earn our way rung by rung. We are a doing people. We somehow feel worthless or useless if we're not busy doing something And yet the Scripture leads us to understand that God is saying, I I want you to to love me above everything else. And it's not about your sacrifices. It's not about the good work that you bring to me. It's not about your achievements and your work. It's about a relationship with my son Jesus Christ. I mean, that doesn't mean you never do anything uh, as an expression of your love for him, of course. God will call you to obey him and do whatever he asks of you However, you don't have to do these things to feel fulfilled or to be merit earners. You're fulfilled completely in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ as you come to know him and you invite Christ to be a part of your life. So God did not create you, only create you for time. He created you for eternity. And I like how Blackaby phrases it, time, your lifetime on earth, provides the opportunity to get acquainted with him. It's an opportunity for for him to develop your character in his likeness. Then eternity will have its fullest dimension for you. I love that perspective. I mean if you just live for time, if you just live for the here and now, you will you will miss the ultimate purpose of creation. You will have climbed the wrong ladder. If you live for time, you will allow your past to mold and shape your life today. But if you live for eternity, you have a shift in perspective and purpose. And it impacts not only time, but also all of eternity. Now, the third implication uh, of the Shema is this, to bring joy and pleasure to the Lord God by going deeper with him. The smile of God is the goal of your life. Early on in the Old Testament, God revealed a person who made him smile. And his name was Noah. Genesis 6, 8 says, But Noah found favor with the Lord. The Living Bible phrases it this way, Noah was a pleasure to the Lord. The message says, Noah was different. God liked what he saw in Noah. And if you think of Noah, you can ask the question, well, what brought a smile to God's face through this man? Well, as you know, Noah trusted God. He was, he was only a handful of people on the earth who loved God and trusted him. Everyone else was doing their own thing. And it took 120 years to build that big boat, the ark. And he must have gotten discouraged, but he persevered. He kept trusting God, and that brought a smile to God. He kept building his faith and going deeper as well as building the ark. And when the flood was over, Noah thanked God. He praised God. He built an altar to the Lord, and he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. And when we praise and thank God for how he works in our lives, we bring a smile to God. But we also find that our own hearts are overflowing with joy. God is filled with pleasure when we use our abilities and our talents and our spiritual gifts for his purposes. And after the flood, God said, it's time to move forward. Now it's time to go on. Do the things I designed humans to do. Have babies, raise families, plant crops, eat meals, be humans. This is what I made you to be. And God created you uniquely, and you can offer those giftings back to God just say, God, I am made uniquely. I just thank you for how you've made me, and I offer these gifts back to you for your pleasure. If you remember the video, Chariots of Fire, Olympic runner Eric Lindell said, Liddell says, I believe God made me for a purpose, but he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel God's pleasure. We were made to bring joy and pleasure to our Lord. He enjoys you. He enjoys who you are. He enjoys how he made you. He enjoys the fact that you're amazed at his creation. If You've been to the mountains lately and you just looked at those mountains and you said, oh, that's that's just amazing. That brings a smile to the heart of God. Even he enjoys watching you, you sleep. Just like we as parents enjoy watching our kids sleep. We peek into their bedroom and we see them breathing and they just bring joy. They're they're our kids and they bring joy to our hearts. So watch
1: this. For years I've been here on the shore, looking out there. And honestly, most of the time I've forgotten. I can fake it. I'll read. I'll pray. But when things don't go my way, and when things get tough, that's when I start to see where I've been this whole time. On the shore. It's those times where I know Where my trust really is because you see i've got my job and my wife and my house and my kid and myself to worry about and to trust you fully with that would be you see i've been splashing around in the shallow end afraid of what would happen if i got too deep if i lost my footing And yet you continue to call me out of my depth, into the open waters, where I trust you, where I surrender to you, where I let go of what I can see and enter the unseen, where I'm over my head, where I'm drowning in grace and led by your strength, immersed in your hope entrenched in your love because you don't just want my time and you don't just want my attention you want all of me everything to go deeper
0: So that's the call of God. He wants us all to go a little deeper in our love for Him. And He keeps calling us to love Him and trust Him and walk with Him. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. You were created by God to love Him. You have an opportunity to know here on this earth. And as you do, you will know Him and you will be with Him for all eternity, you were created to bring joy and pleasure to his heart. Let's stand together. Consider this first core ab spiritual muscle. In quietness, will you whisper to him? Lord, I love you. I love you. I love you with all my heart. I love you with all my soul and my mind. Thank you for creating me to love you. Thank you for the privilege of saying yes to you. From the very first moment I realized I needed you, until now and thank you for putting it into my heart to bring you joy and pleasure so Lord would you take me deeper would you take me deeper and deeper into your love so I can be everything you want me to be in Jesus name Amen